If you're listening to this podcast, then I probably don't need to convince you that your podcast purpose, format, and role within your company should be aligned with the products and services that you offer and how you like to do business and be perceived within your industry. Knowing that and executing well on it are different things, however, and when you're doing that kind of assessment about your show, there's a lot to keep in mind. First and foremost, your podcast goals should be business goals. More networking, more sales, lower costs, more attention. And the format that you choose needs to be one that makes it possible for you to achieve those goals. You can't network in a show without guests, and guests don't always help you communicate your own unique ideas and viewpoints. Second, while you want to keep an eye and an ear on similar podcasts in your space, it's less that you can do something similar and more so that you have a really good sense of what best practices and content quality standards are in your industry. You don't want to be the podcast in your industry with the worst audio and the broken call to action links. Having visibility on the baseline standards for podcasts in your industry is going to help you create a show that reflects well on you and your company and help you make decisions about where within the podcasting process you want to invest more of your time, energy, and money. Finally, relationships and how you're building pipelines for different kinds of them is a huge part of podcasting for your business. Whether you need more collaborators, more staff, more referral partners, more clients, or even new service providers, your podcast can put you in touch with all of these people. But if you're not doing any kind of follow-up or your follow-up isn't systematized and organized and regularly maintained, those relationships aren't going to turn into anything meaningful and the podcast ultimately is not going to have that much impact on your business. So for every one of these elements and dozens more, there are different ways to make clear connections and alignment with your business and your goals and how you're positioning yourself among all of the other creators in your industry. Different companies are going to have different tactics and different reasons for them, and we're going to be looking at some of them today with a truly expert guest. This is The Company Show, a podcast for business owners and marketing managers whose podcast is just one of the many, many things that they need to do every day. I'm Megan Doherty, one of the creators of podcastingforbusiness.com, and I'm sharing the results of our years of experience working with company podcasts and our original industry research, and talking to experts and company podcasters who have incredible insights and case studies about how to get the most out of their podcast as efficiently as possible. Today, I have the pleasure of sharing with you a conversation that I had with Bieta Chalette, the growth architect. She's a business strategist and podcast host who provides visionaries and leaders with strategies to grow their authority so they can scale their impact. Bieta and I are talking about changes in the entrepreneurial landscape, having a good understanding of what's going on in your industry and making decisions accordingly, and a good deep dive into the good, the bad, and the terribly ugly of different podcast strategies that we have run across over the years of being in this industry. So we're operating from the same foundation. Podcasts can be leveraged within a business in a way that serves the business itself, listeners, and everyone else involved with the project. But we approach many things in somewhat different ways. And that means that this was a conversation I learned a lot from, and I think you will too. Here it is. Vienna, thank you so much for joining me and for all of us uh, here today. I'm excited to be here, Megan. So to get going, would you uh, just share with everyone just a little bit about your background in business growth and strategy and maybe just a touch about your own podcast as well? Yeah. So my name is Beata Chalette. I'm known as the growth architect. And what that means is that I literally architect growth. I architect growth in three particular areas. One is when you turn your talent into a business, you need the business model. Then number two, when you have the model and you're making money, but now you need a signature growth system to have a clear differentiation factor. And number three, when you have the first two, and now you need to really scale it to a half a million, a million dollars and beyond, and you need scaling systems. So that's when we come in 
My podcast is the Business Growth Architect Show, and we work with, we bring strategies. We make strategies simple by breaking down what all the different strategies are that there are and hoping that our audience is going to find a, a few things that they actually feel that they can implement so that they can grow, build, and scale their business. Well, I'm sure that they do. And so one of the things we've talked about before in preparation for this is the changes that have been happening in the, you know, in the business economy, and especially for coaches, consultants, service providing businesses. Could you just share a little bit about kind of the growth that's been happening and what impact that's going to make for people working in these industries? What we've really looked at is the numbers of the, just the sheer numbers of people going into the coaching and consulting industry. And it is estimated that that might be as many as two to three million people that have quit their jobs that have now figured out maybe it is time for me to put my shingle out and be in business by myself. And what that means is that when there is a large influx of new providers in the market, typically what we see is a cost uh, pressure of existing providers that are then being forced to reduce or lower their rates just because there's a much larger number of providers out there. And let's not forget that a lot of these providers have maybe companies like Amazon or Google or Meta behind, you know, behind their name and their history. And then people say, wow, if they, if they worked at Facebook, they must be really good. So has this happened in large part, do you think, because of the pandemic or because of just general shifting climate or uh, like maybe is there something in the zeitgeist telling everyone to start their own businesses? Why do you think there's been such an increase? You know, I think that there's, Megan, there's a number of factors that typically go into this. I mean, things are very cyclical. What we've seen is that people in COVID, especially the, those that were employed first were devalued, valued, overvalued, devalued, and now laid off. And that creates typically a sense of not just hostility, but a great sense of dissatisfaction and an erosion of trust to the organizations and the con institutions that have you know, that have done that. I mean, we know, and history has shown this over and over and over again, that a lot of companies, when they go and they tell you, yeah, we're all DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, we're all for equal pay, we're all for no child labor. But as an investor, I get those shareholder reports and I get the things that are proposed on the shareholder reports to be voted on. And there are things that are voted on that are DEI reports and child labor reports and the board always, without any exception, on every single one of them always votes against them. So the company through the outside always says, yeah, 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 no, 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 we, we, we are all for equal pay. But then when the shareholder report says, hey, should we vote on an actual report to demonstrate that that's the truth, the shareholder recommendation is do not do that by the board of directors. So we know that companies lie. I mean, you know, you can call it whatever you want. But if I was going to bet on myself, I'm bet, bet on, let's say, General Motors or Meta or Google, I know where my bet would be safer. And I think that's what's happening. The other thing is that the market is at a point now where people say, well, how hard can it be? How bad can it be out there? And so they don't know all the stuff that can go wrong yet. You know, I call this very uncelebratorily uh, the, the bucket full of shit that can go wrong. The longer you are in business and the longer you are alive, the bigger the, the bucket is. But if you haven't had that experience, you don't know that. So 
your bucket is relatively empty. And because of that, you go like, how hard can it be? Because you don't know how difficult it can be to be an entrepreneur. So they just go ahead and say, well, I mean, gee, you know, it's actually really cheap. All I have to do is go get a DBA and that's like $40 and then publish the thing for $40 and boom, and I'm done. And I have my own business. So you mentioned the the kind of all of the new service providers being in the industry, adding, adding a cost pressure to those who are already there. And there's also, um, I think, you know, and we can talk about an attention pressure because a lot of these businesses, they're coming out there on social media, they're creating podcasts, like we'll get into in more detail. So how do you recommend people kind of become aware of the new players in their space? Because, you know, it's important to to have an idea of what playground you're playing in. Um, how do you recommend people kind of know what's going on in their own industry? There's a couple of schools of thought on that. So number one is you just ignore them altogether because you think that it has absolutely nothing to do with you and you just continue as you always had because it's meaningless to you. I mean, does it matter to you? Or you can be like the pizza place, you know, in my office building. So that pizza place was always jamming. They served all the the kids after school. Uh, you know, when they went home, the parents got pizza. And then across the street, a new place opened. And they shifted from the coffee place to the coffee and the pizza place. And they did what the place downstairs didn't do. They sold pizza by the slice. So now all the kids after school taking their five bucks and they're hanging out with their friends and they're getting a slice of pizza, which is very cool. Subsequently, the place downstairs is dead because they didn't want to do slice by the pizza because that's not what they're set up to do because they're not that kind of uh, business. So I think it is important for you to take a look at what the market is doing and what your competitors are doing because you might be seeing some trends. What we've seen as far as trends is that the high ticket sales are definitely falling lower and falling off because people are bought a lot of this stuff when the government paid them. And now they're sitting on these 10,000 hours of unused materials that they haven't even done, looked or implemented. And they are now looking for more implementation or they're looking for certification so they're looking for something that's easy for them to be going out and doing something in. And I think that that's a trend that you really need to look into because what that means is that you may have to add a low ticket offer or you may have to go after a different market or you may have to adjust your market because you don't know if your market still wants the same thing that your market wanted six months ago. And do you recommend any kinds of systems or strategies just for like regular monitoring of this? You see people kind of going out on social media. Are they Google searching for new potential companies? What sort of uh, organization or structure should we have around this kind of activity? I think a healthy curiosity probably really does that. Mm -hmm. You do need to keep abreast of who the players are in your industry. Sometimes I subscribe to a lot of my colleagues in the industry and, you know, whether that's the big internet marketers I cannot really tolerate being more on a list more than three months at a time just because they're just insane because they're just overrunning you with information and they burn their list so quickly. But it's good to see what they're talking about. It's good to see what they're launching. It's good to see what the challenges are that they're doing. Are they still doing webinars? Are they calling it training? Are they doing workbooks or action guides? You just want to get a feeling of what are the things, the terminology that they're using that might be relevant to you right now. 
Perfect. And so one of the things that you can gain from doing this sort of research and having this sort of awareness is better differentiation for your own work and for your own content. And I'd love to talk about this specifically in the context of podcasts. You know, we're here on the company show. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the Business Growth Architect podcast, how you differentiate it and how sort of all of this understanding of what's going on in the environment impacts your decisions with your podcast. Yes, I think number one, if you are serious about your podcast, it has to tie into your business model to some extent. I'm sure, Megan, you come across this all the time where people say, well, I like my podcast, but it really has nothing to do with my business. And then you go, why? That doesn't even make any sense. And it's really not that difficult to tie it in by just sometimes by just tweaking it. So I spoke to somebody yesterday, you know, and he is a Christian his business is helping ministries to grow. And then he has his podcast and his podcast has seemingly nothing to do with it. And I said, but that's so easy to combine for you. All you have to do is you have to say to the ministries that you're helping, this is the case study. And then add that as an offer to what you're building for them and say, so what we did for ourselves is we built this to showcase how easy it is to grow your audience, to grow your ministry by utilizing a podcast. And boom, suddenly the podcast wasn't a passion project, but suddenly the podcast was an extension of a business model. Then I had spoken to somebody who had had a business podcast and, and it was all about the battle, the battle. And I was like, you know, I got to tell you, the battle has a really negative connotation for a lot of people. When I talked to him, he is focused in his business on family businesses and creating legacy. I said, just rename the podcast to Battle for Legacy. Now you can have a battle because now it's in a positive connotation that here's the family man battling environment, government, IRS to preserve a legacy for his family. So a lot of times there's a really easy tweak. So if you use your podcast, which you must, to build your authority, the first step is that it has to directly correlate to what it is that you're doing. So we are strategists. We, we architect growth. So the show is the Business Growth Architect Show. And because we're strategists, it's about strategies. That could be a mindset strategy, could be a business strategy, could be a sales strategy, could be all kinds of strategies. But Ultimately, the podcast is a business strategy podcast because it has to tie into that. And then all your follow-up also has to tie into it because then if your business is to architect growth, your podcast is to architect growth, then your offer must be to architect growth. Where do you find uh, your podcast fits kind of the most into your, your sales cycle or to your marketing? Do you use it directly as like, these are our case studies, or is it more top of funnel where you're trying to be introduced to new people, new listeners? Sort of where does it fit in your general marketing? In the podcast, so there's, there's two ways we go about it. We either have people that elevate us, or we have people that are potential clients. And we often, after the podcast, we follow up with a brainstorm strategy discovery kind of session where I make a very honest proposition. And I say, 
that because I'm a business strategist, I would like to return the favor, which I will be saying to you. And I would like to put my head into your business and strategize on your business. Now, I have to be very careful when I do that, because even if it smells like a sales call, you will know because you are in the business and you, you can smell a sales call from probably five miles away. So if I say this to you and then I don't mean it, then you'll go, yeah, you know, she was an okay guest, but that really was kind of like awkward. So I have to be very clear about my intention to say, if I'm here to serve as a podcast guest to your audience, I'm in service, then I want to be in service to you because I know what your mission is, is to provide this to your audience. I know a little bit about you because we now spoken for a half hour. Then I can go and I can put my brain into your business without holding anything back because if I do, then it's a sales call. So I have to be intentional about if I'm really here to serve, to say, hey, Megan, if this was a really good experience and you see now what I can do and who I am, do you know somebody who might need me? Or is there something in here that you might need? And then you can say yes or no. And then we'll, we'll kind of move on. But that's how you start building these referral pipelines and these lead generation pipelines. You just have to be clear that not everybody who's speak to is actually going to be a client today. There are, you know, some people are not ready yet. Some people never even thought about it. Some people need to do other things and some people are just not your right clients. So I think that when we look at the sales cycle, we also have to be clear what we're using our podcast for, because there are some people out there that are using the podcast for a hardcore sales tool where you actually speak to a salesperson. And on the podcast, they take you through their sales script. And, you know, and I, I think I've been like on two or three of them. And and then on question number three, so what would that do for you if you if if this was really successful? You know where I'm going with this, Megan? Oh, I do. I've been on that call. <laughs> and what were you experiencing? Probably the same thing that I did, right? I had this one and it was a, a whole setup as if it was a daily entrepreneurial show where they just ask five really quick questions and it gets you into this funnel and then people call you and they're like, oh, we'll put you on billboards in Times Square. You're on AM radio. And it's just like, don't try this on industry people. <laughs> don't try it on industry people. Don't try it on anyone. But it's just a gross experience. I was appalled. Yeah. Maybe we were on the same one because that was... Uh... <laughs> I was just going to say... <laughs> But I didn't unsubscribe because I wanted to see how far they can take it. And they take it far. They take it really far. They take it really far. And then I go like, well, I know exactly who their client and audience is, is wannabes. It seemed like they were really going for people who were like really experts, like real subject matter experts in their field, but I had no idea about kind of multimedia marketing. So someone who's maybe in agriculture, in retail sales, and just scamming them, really. They, may, they were offering production packages to me. Yep. Their research must have been great, not maybe realizing I own a production company. But... And then they're shocked because they're salespeople. Yeah, they've got no idea either. No, they got no idea. They're the show hosts, but they're not really show hosts. So, you know, for this conversation, don't do that. Don't do that. I think it's just bad form. We're here to help each other. And we, we're also here to make money, obviously. The scamming only gets you so far, in my experience. Absolutely. And I think even you can go into 
podcasts can be useful for lead generation and for network building. And there are oftentimes when it's completely appropriate to start a relationship with someone, build that relationship over several touch points, and then maybe take that to the next level, to a professional engagement type of level. But it does have to be done really carefully and really elegantly. There was another kind of way you mentioned that you had guests onto your show. You say say they're either potential clients or maybe referral partners somewhere down the line, but also people that elevate you in the show. Could you speak to that a little bit? Sometimes you just want people on the show because they're awesome and because they are well-spoken, they know their stuff, they are powerful, they have a big audience, and they can get you a lot of listeners because of the quality of the person that you're after. You just have to make sure you give them assets and give them advance notice so they can cross-promote. Do you find most people do cross-promote? I think that's a big topic of contention among hosts and guests in the industry. I mean, I learned something a very long time ago because, you know, I did sell my business to Bill Gates and I've been around some very, very powerful people in my life. And after all, I'm in Los Angeles. I've been in photography. So I've been around a few people. People who are really, really at the top are their word. That's why they're there. It's the imposters that are full of shit. And there's no way around it. Because if I meet a Mark Cuban and a Mark Cuban tells me something, believe me, that gets done. It is the people that want to appear like they're Mark Cuban that are the problem. So you put it out there and you do a good show and you deliver on your promise. And then you hope that they're professional enough to keep their word. And most of the time, that seems to be the case. I mean, they're not going to promote this show as much as they would promote it if they were in Joe Rogan's show, obviously, because it's a smaller show. But, you know, I take it seriously. I tell them I take it seriously, ask them what they want to get out of it. And then I am my word. And my expectation is that they are their word. Now, if they unsubscribe, which a lot of people, shockingly, really do. So they want to go on your podcast. You know, they get the first invitation. They unsubscribe from your list. So they'll never get another message on scheduling links for podcasts. So they automatically unqualified themselves. And I have no more patience for this between you and me, Megan. I mean, if you can't even stay on the list long enough to have the interview and get the assets, if that's all you really want is use me, I don't want to have you on my show because you're not my caliber person. But then there are exceptions. You know, I just spoke to Matt Ryder from Seventh Level, which is a sales organization. He's the CEO, probably one of the best salespeople out there right now. And um, I know he's not going to be on my list, but I want him on my show because I know his following is enormous. So I will make exceptions for that. And we do ask the company, because he doesn't go through a service, he goes through a placement service. And we do ask that placement service to make sure that this goes out there. The placement service, because that's their job. Now we're talking, and so I think you just have to really evaluate that. Because if he pays for this to get these types of interviews on shows like mine, or shows like yours, then that company that places it's in their best interest to get that word out that that actually did happen. Otherwise, that would be not credible. You make a couple of really interesting points here. Say, so I've always tended to look at kind of a guest sharing as a lovely bonus. Say, so if they're going to promote it on their own channels. So somebody is going to come, like you, for example, you're coming here, you're spending a half hour with me, you're giving freely of your knowledge to my community. That's all the work I need out of you. That's generous enough, in my opinion. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have an expectation 
that you would need to do any more of that now. We're going to send you some assets and we're going to, you know, do our best to make you, you know, look and sound as brilliant as you are and do all of that stuff. But I guess I always see the sharing as a bonus on the other end. Oh, really? Yeah. This show, the company show, most of those that we create, they tend not to be about growing in and of themselves. They have other, the ins for networking. You know, now we know each other. It's for creating content that we're going to, you know, share with, with clients, with other people who are interested. It's going to help teach them things that they didn't know. So that's where the value is in terms of what we're building. But it's, it really comes down to where does it fit within your business? What is the role of the podcast within the business? And I like what you said as well about the placement service. That's one of the first great arguments in favor of placement services that I've heard in a while because um, so many of them are so bad at pitching. I only know a couple of, of good. Oh, my God. Great show. I listened to a few episodes. Oh, yeah. Like which one? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I've got like my little short list of podcast bookers that I'll, you know, if they send me someone, I'll talk to them because I know they've done their research. It's going to be great. It's going to be a good time. It requires relationship building on their part too. You know, it's not just spray and pray. It's no, I mean, I think my all-time favorite, my all-time favorite bad story on this is that I suddenly get a booking in my calendar from somebody I've never heard of. It's an and then I look it up as a personal injury attorney. So I go and I said, you know, I'm I'm very sorry. I have no idea how you showed up in my calendar and I've no recollection, no data, no no, nothing. And the link that you're coming in is not a pre-call interview link. That is a sales call, an opportunity call link. And immediately I got from the placement company said, oh, no, 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 no. We pitched him and you agreed. And I said, oh, I, I absolutely did, did no such thing because what is a business growth strategy expert going to do with a personal injury attorney? Right. It's not even sensible. It's not even sensible. So you want me to talk about the strategy and how to be a badass personal injury attorney on a business growth architect show that doesn't even make sense. And I was really ticked off by that. I'm like, do not do that. Yeah, that's poor form. Really, really that's poor really form. That's really bad form, yeah. <laughs> Generally, I'm right there with you in terms of, I, I've got a booking link. If someone wants to like talk about podcast production, they can just book a call directly with me. Yeah. And once it was a very young entrepreneur maybe 20, very, very young. The audacious thing booked a discovery call to try and do market research for his new app. And I was so impressed with his just get up and go that we ended up having a really lovely conversation. But that was the exception, I think, and not the rule. <laughs> you know what? You and I, we do this for a living. We love a yeah. good pitch. Right? I, I respect someone shooting their shot. <laughs> if it's really good, bring it on, but make it good. Yeah. And don't act like we idiots. We've been doing this for a very long time. We know what a good pitch is. Oh, yeah. And don't be a CPA pitching yourself as a personal branding expert. <laughs> well, that kind of brings us back down a little bit to positioning within the market. We, as we talked about at the top, the rapidly increasing market for these kind of businesses. I'm sure you work with a lot of people who are also podcasting as a way of positioning and differentiation. What should someone or a company who's thinking about podcasting or who's looking at their podcast being not sure if it's doing the job it needs to do, how would you recommend they kind of look at or evaluate how well their podcast is performing for their business growth? In my world in growth architecture, we talk about authority platform building and not about celebrity status or influencer status because influence and celebrity status are two completely different things. 
chances that you're listening to this and you're going to have a podcast similar to Joe Rogan are negative 400,000. God willing. Right? And that's beneficial for you because that's only one. When you go create this, you have to have a business plan for this. What's the plan for this? So when people start their podcast and say, oh, I'm going to monetize it, I'm going to get all these ads, you know, good luck with that. Because a typical advertiser, what, pays you $200 per episode? That doesn't even cover the cost of the production. And then you get four episodes, so it's $800 a month. What are you going to pay from that? Nothing. So the podcast is an extension of a strategy of authority building. It is most likely an audience that you would not normally get because people who listen to a podcast are different than people looking on YouTube, are different than people that are reading Blogs are different than people that are on LinkedIn. People that listen to podcasts typically drive in their car, they have long commutes, and they're just looking for something that helps them, educate them, entertains them. So you got to be clear about who your audience is and who you're doing it for. Now, if your idea is, of course, you want to see the podcast grow, but let's just put this in the lowest denominator possible. Let's say 50 people download your podcast every, every week. That is 200 people, or maybe it's 75 people or 100 people, depending how many repeats you have, that are listening to this message regularly. That's a number you would not normally have gotten. Now, if I would have, would tell you, hey, go down to your local chamber of commerce, and every week you could speak in front of an audience of 50 business owners and get your message out, would you do that? You'd be all over that. You'd go like, oh my God, 50 people. That's amazing. Well, you have 50 people. We tend to poo-poo the impact that we're making because you don't know who's really listening. And so the evaluation of podcasting is really is a long game. That's what I'm learning. And it's a long game because you have to build your own reputation. You have to build your reputation as a host. You have to build a reputation with the quality of guests you have. You have to build a reputation in the quality of the production. It has to sound professional. You'll be shocked how many people don't even have a professional microphone. I would not be shocked. <laughs> Megan, <laughs> I put it on my profile now as it do not apply unless you have a professional microphone or you're mm -hmm. willing to invest 50 bucks in it. Yeah. And I had a person say to me, what if I'm not willing to make this investment? Then I said, then I will be not making my investment into getting your message out on my show. Mm -hmm. I've seen something um, really lovely. We work with someone who, podcasting was a big part of her business. And uh, when she wanted to speak with a guest who didn't have a mic, she'd send them one as a gift to make sure that they could have this really lovely, high quality conversation, you know, that sounded as good as the content was. I just thought that was such a beautiful thing to do. That is uh, admirable. Not something I would do, but... <laughs> Doesn't work for every business, no question, but... Uh... I think it's wonderful. Like if I were to use that as a business idea and it would be a high potential client and that would mm -hmm. be the audience I'm going after and the guests I'm going after, I actually think that would be a phenomenal investment. You know, whatever, and a $20, $30 microphone is really, for very little money, there's pretty decent stuff out there. Yeah, and it creates a wonderful lasting impression too because then that, that guest can use it again and again and always there think of you, you every go. time. There Just you beautiful. Go. I like what you're saying too about having this you know, small and dedicated audience. Because I know we've worked with shows that are, you know, if you just look at the downloads, tiny, unsuccessful, going nowhere. But they can attribute tens of thousands of 
of dollars of business every year to having the show and like deploying it within their sales funnel, having it, you know, with their customer service team. And it's profoundly valuable. Who cares if the downloads are small? Most of the shows we produce, we don't even look at the downloads. doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. I mean, I think it's an ego thing. I mean, sure, I would like to go and see thousands and thousands of downloads and see the podcast grow like that. But you have to trust that if you're enjoying it, if you have a good message, that you're also building these relationships with these people. I mean, you just never know who's listening. All you need is one person a year who hears something, who becomes a good client, and everything's paid for. And that is a fantastic ending note. Yeah, where can people listen to your show, learn more about you, and uh, find out how they might be able to work with you? Yeah, so number one, go and check out the Business Growth Architect show if you like to get some insights on strategies for business. We just launched a brand new quiz. It's called What's Your Talent Worth? And you go to whatsyourtalentworth.com. We decided that we wanted to help people to really figure out what their actual earning potential is in this market. And what you'll find is that there's going to be discrepancy between the number you're earning right now and your potential number. And if you look at that number and that concerns you, you need to call us and we'll help you figure out how to bridge that gap. I almost wouldn't want to look. <laughs> you should. I mean, we literally just launched it and it's been great fun to do. I mean, you'll appreciate that. And, you know, let's just give your audience a, a quick behind the scene here yeah. because, you know, we always look into lead generation and we wanted to come up with something where I'm not promising a 10x or a 5x or whatever, because I find that really dishonest. I, I can't really promise that. But what I can do is I can tell you and calculate what your number actually is. And then if yeah. that is not the number you're making, I can tell you why that is, because that's what I do. And so when we did that and suddenly people come up and they said, oh, my God, my number is like 1.5 million. I'm like, what are you making right now? 150. I said, we need to talk about this. Yeah. We need <laughs> oh, great sticky name, too. What's your talent worth? I love it. Thank you. If you say that, I believe it, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> love it. All of the links to everything that you've mentioned will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was such fun. It was great fun. Thank you so much, Megan. You're amazing. And please, for all of you listening, will you go wherever you pick up the show and give Megan a five-star review plus a comment? And the comments are absolutely critical because it shows the algorithm there's engagement. More engagement means Megan can touch more people. And I think she has earned that ask. So thank you so much. And share the episode with one other person. This was such an interesting call, and I particularly enjoyed getting another perspective on the sometimes controversial strategy of guest-to-client pipelines. I really like the way Beata is approaching it, and yes, she sent me a follow-up, which I have booked and I'm really looking forward to. Make sure to check out her podcast, The Business Growth Architect Show, wherever you enjoy podcasts. Relationship-building pipelines, whether you're seeking new clients or different kinds of professional relationships, are two-sided. You can create them through having guests on your own show and being a guest on others. Now, pitching yourself to other podcasts can be a time-consuming and sometimes daunting chore, and there are lots of professionals who are ready to help at very different levels of quality, as you've just heard. You do not want to be that guy who is sending bad pitches, whether it's you doing it or a third-party agency that you're using. So if you're looking for a guest pitching service, I can highly recommend the Podwise Group, which was created by my friend Angie Trueblood. Angie has joined me on this podcast in its previous iteration as the Business Podcast Blueprint Show. And she's participated both years in the Podcasting for Business conference. Last November, she shared some excellent tips for pitching yourself effectively as a host. Here's one I think you'll really like. 
the one thing I recommend first is identifying the types of people that you want to get in front of. So whether it's ideal podcast listeners, ideal business clients, ideally they're the same. Find out first who are those people and then start thinking, well, what are the types of shows that these people would be listening to likely to get some kind of information about something related to what you offer. So I typically am not pitching myself to be a guest on someone's podcast who offers podcast interview bookings as their primary service. But I will be a guest on someone's show who works with podcast hosts in producing their show because it's a complimentary service. Mm -hmm. So that's the one thing I see people typically kind of um, missing the mark on is identifying complimentary service providers, complimentary business, complimentary podcasts to guest on rather than ones that would seem to be more competitive. And I don't mean that in a aggressive way, but if someone is doing the same thing that you do, likely their audience is already following them as the leader. So the likelihood of it being a good conversion for you is pretty slim. You can get the rest of the conversation I had with Angie Trueblood and all of the rest of the recordings of the last Podcasting for Business conference right now at pfbcon.com. That's pfbcon.com. And if you do, you will find more than 20 expert talks that will help you make real improvements to the impact that your podcast is creating for your business. Thank you so much for joining me this week on The Company Show. As always, I'm your host, Megan Doherty, and this podcast was produced by the whole team at One Stone Creative. If you found some value in this episode, the best way you could support us is by sharing it with a business owner that you think should have a podcast. Until next time.